Welcome to the podcast. We are super excited for you guys to meet another of our pastors, Michael Johnson. Mm -hmm. Michael is a worship pastor, but he also is one of our campus pastors. Mm -hmm. He has a particular love for apologia. Michael is going to be speaking with us today about apologia with critical theory in mind. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's important to understand what critical theory is, and we're going to get all those definitions Mm -hmm. and better understanding for us lay people who are just trying to understand and so that we can engage with the culture and and do that from a biblical perspective. So we're excited to talk to Michael today. Welcome, Michael. We are so glad you're here today. As we begin, we usually like to start with something light. Kind of just tell us about your family, a little bit of history, and tell us what your parents did as an occupation while you were growing up. I think this is fascinating. So my parents are missionaries. Um, I grew up in Germany. They've been missionaries for, let's see, 1969, 53 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and so my dad passed away five years ago, but uh, in 1969, they left to go to Germany. Um, God had called my dad there, even before he was a Christian, he fell in love with Germany. Mm-hmm. He was stationed there in the Air Force. Mm. And when he got off of the train, uh, uh, got off the train at the train station, he was just like, I, I want to come and spend my life here. Well, then once he became a Christian, that's where God laid on his heart. Like, I want you to go and I want you to tell the German people about mm-hmm. me. So they planted two churches, turned them over to national pastors. Um, and I was the youngest of four there's 13 years between my oldest sister and I. Uh, so mm-hmm. by the time that I was coming around, the churches were already going. They were mm-hmm. running pretty well. And Dad had started shifting from being a church planner to now he was training pastors, mm-hmm. and specifically pastors behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. So he'd been smuggling Bibles um, for years with Brother Andrew. So oh, that's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Brother Andrew had gained enough notoriety where they knew him. And he... So they would start flagging him, and they he was he was getting known well enough that he couldn't go in with right. as as effectively as he had done before. So he had started opening up, and it was really tough. But um, Dad was able to use some of his vans that had you could you had to hit things in a certain sequence to pop out mm-hmm. the Bibles, and he would take them, and they would go to these um, past, sometimes it was pastors. It was a lot of times it was just lay people, twenty uh, year olds that would take five Bibles each, and they were risking. For every Bible that we were found in their possession, five years mm. in prison. Wow. So they would be ris- willing to risk 25 years every time he met with them. Mm-hmm. And um, so w- we, we grew up, I grew up within hours of Eastern Europe, the Iron Curtain, uh, seeing just kind of um, what, what communism and socialism, when it's played out, when these ideas are played out to their nth degree, mm-hmm. where it leads. Um, and seeing still how the power of the gospel was so much stronger, mm-hmm. uh, but seeing these ideas on a played out on a grand scale, when I started seeing them showing up here, I was going, okay, <laughs> this is uh, this this doesn't lead anywhere good, yeah. guys. Mm-hmm. We've uh, heard these stories yeah. like the things we're starting to hear now. It's it's how um, Rod Dreher. Uh, characterize it. He said it's a soft totalitarianism. So it's not like mm-hmm. when they rolled in with the tanks. Mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom even talked about it. He was like, "Listen, we don't have to enforce this with like police. We'll make it to where we'll make it where the people enforce it themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll make it to where they will not go to church. They won't be together. They won't. Um, they, they, they won't share the gospel because we'll just make it where it's socially unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So it's the same totalitarianism, just a softer, not yeah. as quite 
Very point subtle. of a gun. Yeah. Slow fade Andy is just subtly just trying fade. to sneak mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Michael Respring yeah. did a sermon series on Wednesday night mm-hmm. on a deconstructionism, um, critical theory, things that are having to do in culture today. Mm-hmm. So if you guys mm-hmm. want to catch that, I will link that in the show notes so you guys can go back and watch that mm-hmm. at stuartheights.org. And so if good. You're interested in it, um, mm-hmm. good information to yes. have as believers. Yes, so much information that was helpful to me as just someone who you're bombarded by the culture and you don't know. You don't know how to filter it all, and you were very helpful in helping me filter what I'm getting, you know, yeah. from um, the news and from the uh, just the culture in general to be able to uh, process that better as a yeah. as a believer. So that's what we're hoping mm-hmm. to accomplish here today too, uh, yeah. with talking with you for Absolutely. our listeners. So as we begin, what's a basic definition for just the everyday believer of critical theory? The so I was trying to think of this because it's it's meant to be super hard to define, mm-hmm. and it's meant to be really just nebulous and all over the place. But uh, the best thing I could think of would be Marxism applied to every area of life. Mm-hmm. Neil Shinby, a way he said it was, uh, it views reality through the lens of power, dividing people into oppressed and oppressor groups along the axis like race, class, gender, sexuality, physical ability, age. So essentially, you what critical theory does is it takes Marxism and it applies it all across life. So with Marxism, there was only the oppressor and the oppressed. That's mm-hmm. all life existed. And uh, he saw it economically. So with him, it was the bourgeoisie who owned the means of production and the proletariat who was the working class. Mm-hmm. So the way that he did it, and word pictures kind of helped me, um, there was the superstructure. And so that was the oppressor class. So it can be lots of different ones, whoever the oppressor is, and they create the superstructure. So think of it like the body of a car. And then the infrastructure is the oppressed group, so that's the engine. And they're stuck in this dialectical relationship where they have completely opposing views, but they have to work together because if you take the one away from the other, mm-hmm. it can't exist. Hmm. So the engine can't exist without the car. The, the car can't run without the engine, so they're stuck together in this relationship. But he said, what we've got to do is we have got to awaken the class consciousness of, uh, now his was based totally on economics. He was like, if we will help everybody to see that they are being oppressed and then they'll throw off their overlords, they'll have bloody revolution. He thought it could only happen through bloody revolution. Mm -hmm. He knew as long as you didn't, it didn't come to full on war, it would never, never happen. And he thought in his lifetime, uh, and I think he died in, 1880 something. I'd have to look it up to be sure. But he was like in his life. A lifetime. long time ago. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> and that's even what I concentrated on from the class was Marx forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so 19th century to present. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thoughts itself go back to the garden. Mm-hmm. It started with Adam and Eve and the, the serpent came and said, listen, you're oppressed. God is the have. You're the have not. If you could throw off the oppression that he has on you, if you could realize all you have to do is take hold of this truth, if you get rid of the system of oppression that's holding you down, you would be like God yourself. So Mm. all you have to do is through revolution, seize what's yours, and you'll be like God. And so it's it's been the same story, but specifically how it's really affected us in Western culture has been from Marx forward. Um, and so when you, James Lindsay is another, he is, um, he was a, an incredible resource. 
part of the thing that um, Chandelier will help with is I've got a whole list of resources that we use for the whole class. But he went and he broke it down and he showed how you apply Marxism to all the different critical theories. So critical theory itself, um, the most well-known is critical race theory. And he was like, Mm -hmm. it's race Marxism. So with Marxism, there's the oppressor um, who, if you take critical race theory, is white people. They have a special property, whiteness, uh, that they have created a oppressive ideology around uh, called white privilege or white supremacy. Mm-hmm. The oppressed group is any person of color, but specifically black people. And what they need to do is awaken their class consciousness to throw off the need to become woke, to throw off the white supremacy and the, the end goal is the abolition of whiteness. But critical theory itself can be applied to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and critical race theory is kind of the, it's the gateway to get in. But once you... Once you kind of hold to those ideas of critical race theory, then intersectionality kind of comes in alongside mm-hmm. of it. And then you have to see oppression everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was good. That was a very long explanation. Yeah. Sorry. No, that was great. So you mentioned intersectionality there at the end. Can you give us a brief definition of what that means? Is it wrapped up in the definition you just gave, or is there something different? So with intersectionality, you're literally just looking for impression, oppression that occurs across different areas. Um, and any areas where the, you have intersecting, the more areas of intersecting oppression you have, the more moral authority that you have. Now, so you don't have, and the crazy thing is it's, it's based off of lived experience as well. It's not objectionable, rational truth. Hmm. If you try and say, well, there's no real rational reason why you're feeling oppressed in this area. It's like, no, 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 you cannot tell me. I have a special knowledge as a person belonging to one of these oppressed groups that lets me understand where I am being oppressed, even if you don't feel like you're, even if you don't feel like you're expressing that towards me. So uh, a simple one with, with us here, uh, if we were doing, um, so sexism, if I, if we were coming up to a door and I open the door for you, mm-hmm. because you see the, the world through the view of that oppressor oppressed paradigm, you wouldn't see that I was opening the door to be polite to allow you to walk first, it would, you would say to me, well, how dare you? Do you do not, do you not think that I can open a door on my own? You're trying to assert your misogyny and your masculine privilege and your patriarchy by opening the door, thinking that I am not capable enough to do that. And so literally what critical theory does is chooses the most cynical, ungenerous explanation for anything that happens. And when you add in intersectionality with it, the more layers that you can get on there, the more truth you can understand. And that kind of comes from W.E. Du Bois, who when he was talking about um, the culture between whites and slave owners, he said the whites lived in the master's world. They only had to understand things one way, but the slaves had to live in the master's world and the slave world. And so they had a double consciousness, a higher consciousness. Hmm. And so the more layers of oppression that you can get so... The wheel of oppression starts off the least is white, uh, able-bodied, heterosexual, male, slim, rich, speaks English, cisgendered. That's the most oppressive person you can be. But it's by going to the opposite. If you are dark-skinned, uneducated, have significant disability, if you're lesbian, bi, uh, neurodivergent, you're overweight, poor, um, trans, intersex, you understand the world and you have access to more truth 
than anyone else does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it does is it just literally makes it where we cannot see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. We cannot ever find any common ground. Yeah. As believers, how are we supposed to interact with others in light of this? So for believers, the tough part is it, it starts off with something that sounds seemingly like a, a great thing, social justice. Who wouldn't want to see justice and who wouldn't want to see it expressed in society? Uh, God is just and we want to see his justice roll out across everything. And so it's it's deceptive in that where it's like, oh, well, of course I would want to be a part of this. But they're saying, okay, if you ascribe to social justice, then you have to start seeing these areas of oppression that are everywhere and it's by birth there's nothing you can do to change it you can't even not be an oppressor and and that's that was kind of the Mm. genius of the enemy was mark started off with um everything was based off the oppressed and oppressed with economics and that failed in his lifetime and they didn't understand why that failed because they were like this is going to go everywhere it's going to be rome paris uh new york san francisco everywhere so Antonio Gramsci a few years later was like, well, Marxism itself didn't work with economics, so let's apply it to culture. And then that still wasn't quite enough, so then the neo-Marxist, Mac Horkheimer, he's the one who came up with critical theory. And then he was the one who started applying it across everything. And he was like, if we can find a characteristic that is unchangeable, that everybody is born with, that they can't do anything about, Mm -hmm. and we can make them by birth an oppressor, then we can force this conflict to happen. Hmm. And so what it's doing with the church is uh, I've I've seen where people were saying, how dare you call me brother or sister? We do not have the same skin color. You may not call me that. That is, you are being aggressive and oppressive to me by calling me brother and sister. How dare you speak to me that way? Hmm. When... Christ has united us. Mm-hmm. And, and then it goes deeper to even the original Communist Manifesto that Marx wrote was called the Communist Statement of Faith originally, but it had too much of a religious undertone, so they changed it to the Communist Manifesto. But it's a, it's, it's a false gospel that has more original sin, not just the original sin that all people struggle with, hmm. but it's an added one. Every layer of oppression adds even more, and there's nothing you can ever do to ever make up for that. It it divides what mm-hmm. what God was always... He prayed one of his last prayers in the garden is, God, make them one as mm-hmm. you and I are one. Mm-hmm. And what this does immediately is puts us at odds and pulls us apart to where we can't see, see eye to eye. Hmm. So as we're interacting with a culture that is hostily coming against us in our Christianity, in our faith, in our trying to be good and kind and nice to people, mm-hmm. what can believers do? What, what's the, what are the steps that they can take to learn more, to grow more, to be able to interact better? To speak the truth in love in a winsome way where it's accepted as, as how Christ would do it yeah. um, and not as, as we're oppressing. Right. How do we do that? In a big way is understanding understanding where the argument comes from mm-hmm. because if you understand the lies that the enemy is trying to push forward when when you hear someone repeating those it's at least you understand a little bit of where it's coming from you can understand what is kind of guiding those thoughts mm-hmm. that was even the 
the goal of our entire class was to equip everyone. And I said this multiple times throughout the class. I'm not trying to give you rocks to be able to pick up and throw right. it mm-hmm. at, at, a, at a person. This is literally just helping to arm you with the truth because they have been lied to. The enemy is doing everything he can to to cover their eyes and their hearts, to blind them to the truth. And it, it's so dangerous. I've seen it take down. The reason why I even started diving into this to understand in the first place was the church that I was a part of for 10 years. Um, our pastor got into it. Um, and even with him, it, it kind of came in a little bit more through the progressive Christianity way. Um, and that's the three groups I, I looked at in the class. Uh, was wokeism, progressive Christianity, and both of those are leading to Christians who are deconstructing. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it tear apart super strong Christians because once you follow it to its logical end, you eventually turn around and you see the church as the source of all evil, the source of oppression. You're just, we're just trying to colonize and, 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 and oppress people even more. Uh, one of the oppressors that's listed is Christians because we, we say there is only one way to God. Mm. And instead of that being a beautiful truth and something that's very specific, where God is going, I don't want you to be confused. Mm-hmm. I want to give you just a simple way. I am the way. Mm-hmm. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father but through me. That scene is one of the most oppressive things you can say. So the way that we, we can engage is to understand a little bit behind the argument. But as we're going in, and, and even as I've encountered some of these conversations so far, I've yet to be able to sit down and be able to walk it through to be able to bring someone back. But I've been able to walk through and help some people who are in, encountering this with like friends and family who are coming across these ideas for the first time to be able to help stop early on uh, before they're led down the path mm-hmm. of deception. Um, and then doing it in a way where we understand that even the people who are pushing forward these ideas, they're not theirs. Mm -hmm. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's right. We wrestle against principalities and powers. We are are coming up against the enemy. Satan is our enemy. Mm -hmm. He is the source of this deception, not the people that we're coming into contact with and we may be even confronting uh, through all this. And if we can understand that, then we can speak the truth in love. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the last things I said. It's one of my favorite things that truth without grace is mean and we've Mm -hmm. seen that and even if we have all this truth and we can speak it but we do without love it's just mean and Mm mean-spirited but grace without truth is meaningless that's where just and that's where a lot of christians are being pulled into this where they're trying to be so gracious that they're willing to compromise on the truth that they're willing to just abandon all all things just to be able to try and be seen as loving but Truth and grace together are good medicine. So truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But grace and truth together is good medicine. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this first part of the conversation with Michael Johnson as we got some everyday definitions on critical theory and intersectionality and how we respond as believers to those in our circles of influence. See you next time for the second part of the conversation. Have a great day.